0: Home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in, wrote Robert Frost. Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. At Christmas time, we think a lot about home and family. We go to great lengths sometimes to reconnect with our people. When Jesus came home to Nazareth at age 30, he found what many of us find, that nothing has changed except us. Pastor Jim's sermon is called His Own Received Him Not
1: i thinking a lot this Christmas about, uh, about Jesus. Part of a conversation a couple of weeks ago where a group of preachers were sitting around and I would suppose the average age was somewhere between 60, 70, maybe even 80. And the question was, what do you find fresh to say when you've preached 50 sermons in a row? Every Christmas comes and that demands at least three messages on Christmas, sometimes four. So if you've been in the ministry for 50 years, 50 times four, that's 200, 200 different messages about Christmas. How do you do that? And I sat there thinking, wow, I'm so glad I haven't got that virus yet. Because every time Christmas comes, the Lord puts a new and different emphasis upon my mind and heart. And and it's wonderful, just a wonderful thing to experience that. But I want tonight to talk to you about a phrase in John's Gospel. Here's what he says, John chapter one. John says, he came to his own, and his own received him not. His own received him not. Now that's John chapter one. His own received him not. But what I'd like to do is think about that. The rejection that Jesus experienced, but think at it from a little different point of view with me. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. I want you to note at verse 23, Luke tells us that Jesus began Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30 years old. If Luke had not made that statement, we would have no sense whatever the chronology of Jesus' life. And the first thing that impresses you is that Jesus spent 30 years in pretty much silence, pretty much obscurity. He did no miracles. He preached no sermons. There was was nothing significant, different, distinctive about his life. He lived in the backwaters of upper Galilee, up up in a place called Nazareth, a place that was so non-Jewish-esque that it was called uh, the Gentile part of the kingdom of Judea and Israel. And up there, he did nothing but grow and increase and ponder and come to understand who he really was. All that changed at 30 when Jesus went down and was baptized by John in the River Jordan. We've talked about that in a previous message. And then John, very quickly after that, went down to Jerusalem for his first Passover feast after his baptism. Come to that again in a moment. But what I want you to look at is in chapter four of Luke, after Jesus' baptism, after the Holy Spirit came upon him, after he was tempted of the devil, After he had been to Judea, really, for the first of the Passover feast, we have this interesting, interesting bit of information that had to come from Mary. Joseph is dead now. Or perhaps Jesus' brothers and sisters were in the audience when this happened. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, here's what it says. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. That was a part of the way they conducted themselves every Sabbath. The synagogue was a place where the Scriptures were honored, and Scripture was read every Sabbath evening, and then that passage would be discussed by the rabbi, the teacher, the one who was in charge, and by the leading men of the synagogue. They were all free to participate in something of a, not a free-for-all, but a, an interactive home Bible study-esque kind of experience, and everyone was free to discuss that portion of the law or the scriptures that were read on that Sabbath evening. Sabbath began at sundown on Friday, and this part of the service usually occurred on Friday evening and then carried over into the Saturday celebrations. Now, read that Jesus uh, was there, and it was, his, it was his custom. Every Friday night and Saturday till sunset, Jesus practiced the Sabbath rest. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place. Look at that. That means that Jesus broke from the custom of reading what was assigned for the day the passage that was being read in most of the rest of the synagogues that Friday evening or that Saturday morning throughout Galilee and Judea. Jesus took the scroll and searched for a passage that was on his mind. He selected the passage that day, and that may be one of the reasons why there was such a tremendous stir that was caused by this experience. He found the place... In Isaiah, where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me to set free the oppressed. He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped reading we read, verse 20, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now, let that settle in. Hometown boy comes back. He's been living there for 30 years. He takes his role as a member of the male community in the synagogue. He goes to the place where the reading took place. When they hand him the scroll, he finds exactly the passage he wants and then announces this that I've read, this prophecy, this that I've just read. This scripture has been fulfilled. It's now history. They were all speaking all of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Hold your finger there and flip over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. A parallel passage of a later experience where this same thing seems to have been repeated when Jesus returned to Nazareth uh, with his disciples in tow. Mark chapter 6, you read there that Jesus went to his or came to his hometown and his disciples followed him there in tow. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Where? Did this man get these things, they asked. What is this wisdom given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us?" So they were offended by him. Let your eye go down to verse 5. He was not able to do any miracles there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Now note something in that. The town folks noticed that this was a different Jesus, yet he was the same Jesus they noticed that he's speaking words of of wisdom and understanding that they had not heard from his lips before. They note that he takes full authority of the Scriptures and dares to not only read a passage of his own selection, but then to pontificate that this passage of Scripture, which which we've been praying and singing and longing for since Isaiah wrote it, that this passage is now fulfilled. And they like that. They're they're impressed with his words, Luke tells us. They like him, but they can't figure out or they're hung up on, isn't this the carpenter? Notice it's the carpenter, which would suggest that uh, in Mark's account, Jesus was the prominent carpenter in the town of Nazareth. The word translated carpenter here could also include someone who works in stone. It's it's someone who is very crafty at using materials to make tools, to make buildings, to repair, uh, whether in stone or wood or whatever other materials may be around. Isn't, Isn't this our carpenter? And where does he get this wisdom? Where does he get this authority to pronounce prophecy fulfilled? Now, in Luke's account, Jesus responds in verse 23 to their enigma. No doubt, he says to them, you will quote this proverb to me. Doctor, heal yourself. All that we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. Jesus, we want a miracle. We, we want you to come to us with more than just words. We, we, we want to see some action. We're your hometown folks. We're your relatives. We're your neighbors. We're your clients. We're your customers. We know who you are. We know your family. We've known them well. You are part of our community. A, what happened to you that you speak this way? B, do those miracles here. We've heard about what happened. Do them here. Jesus says, undoubtedly, that's what you would say. And then he makes them mad. He also said, verse 24, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. He understood that. That familiarity can breed contempt. That these neighbors had a bigger problem then the audience down at Capernaum or the audience over Bathsheba or the audience even down in Jerusalem. These people knew who he was. For 30 years, he had lived among them. They knew who his mother was. They knew who his brothers and sisters were. He's one of us. I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you that There were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's days when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. Elijah didn't help any of the widows in the land of Israel during his ministry. He went to Sidon, and there ministered to a widow. Do you remember the story? I only have enough oil and enough meal for one cookie. I'm picking up a few sticks, sir. I'm going home, and I'm going to make that cookie, and my son and I are going to eat it, and we're going to die because the famine is so severe. And Elijah said, well, make a part of that for me. And for the three and a half years, the cruise of oil and the meal never lacked. God miraculously provided. But she was not a widow from Elijah's hometown. She was not a widow living inside the land of Israel. She was a Gentile. Jesus is saying, have you ever thought about the significance of that? That when you reject the prophet just because you're familiar with him, you put yourself in the same place that the people did during the days of the acknowledged prophetic powers of Elijah. Oh, and he said, let me give you another illustration. (laughs) He says, in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many Nisra who had serious skin diseases, yet not of them, not one of them was healed. Only Naaman, the Syrian. I can hear somebody in the back of the synagogue scratching their head and saying, Jesus, is this supposed to help? What's the point? What, what are you saying? Well, what Jesus is saying is that Elijah and Elijah faced the same problem Jesus did. That in the days of their prophetic ministry, the people who should have acknowledged them as prophets and welcomed them, and benefited from their prophetic ministry. Didn't believe. Wouldn't believe. And so God sent them, or sent their ministry, the benefits of their ministry to Gentiles. First a Gentile widow, and then a hated Syrian. A hated Syrian, Naaman. And he got the benefit of being healed from leprosy. When they heard this, verse 28, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the edge of the hill. Their town was built upon, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, the reason to bring the story up here tonight is that after 30 years of, silence, his hometown suddenly is jarred by the change in Jesus. So jarred, however, so familiar with him that they couldn't make the leap of faith. They couldn't trust that he was indeed greater than the prophet Isaiah and that he was able to not only pronounce prophecy fulfilled but to imply that that prophecy was being fulfilled in himself. Think of what that claim was. Jesus is clearly saying, folks, I went down to John the Baptist, one of you, carpenter, citizen of this community. Something happened down there, something that fulfilled this prophetic passage. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me. He has anointed me, and then he goes on to cite the exact things that Isaiah said would be significant of the Messiah during his first coming. Folks, I am the embodiment of the fulfillment of that prophecy, a prophecy and prayer you've prayed week after week, year after year, century after century, anticipating the coming of this one who would fit these qualifications. I'm your man. All they could do was say, well, do something special for us. And he refused that. He couldn't perform where faith was not present. There's one other thing that you'll notice if you hold your finger here and go back to the passage in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61 that he's reading from, and this is very important. Isaiah chapter 61, the passage that Jesus cited on this homecoming celebration, the first time he came back to Nazareth after his experience of baptism with John. And here's the passage he's reading, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and you recognize all of it. Look at verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that's where he stopped. Watch. And the day of our God's vengeance. To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, he goes on to say. He stopped in the middle of a sentence. That part of the prophecy wasn't fulfilled yet. That prophecy would wait a future day when Jesus, the Messiah, would return a second time and sit upon the throne of his father, David. That's still future to us. So he knew exactly, Jesus knew exactly who he was, knew why he was there, acknowledged that he had been anointed by God to perform these things that were typical of Messiah. And he stands in front of his hometown folks and says, I am the Messiah, the one you've been praying for. And you've heard about proofs of that power down there in those other cities, and those proofs are clear. And they're basically saying, well, unless you prove yourself to us, we're not going to believe. And he's saying, listen, you should go back and remember about Elijah and Elijah. They were true prophets, but the unbelief of their hometown people made it impossible for them to provide the benefits of their prophetic ministry, their prophetic power of miracles, made it impossible for them, for the hometown folk to benefit from that. And as the text in Mark tells us, they didn't believe in him, refused him, and as the text in Luke tells us, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him amazing, amazing passage. <laughs> Maybe this will help you. Every time I hear the song, I'll be home for Christmas, you can count on me. Think of this passage. This is Jesus coming home for Christmas. And what's the response to the people? They reject him. They refuse him. They become angry with him and they try to kill him. But God gives him the protection he needs, and we simply read, he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, that's a miracle. These people are out to kill Jesus. Those of you who visited Nazareth today know that Nazareth is on top of a hill, and you know there's a cliff there, and you can see the place where this could well have been executed. To be thrown off that cliff would have been deadly for any normal man. And yet the text tells us that while they're intending to heave him over the cliff, Jesus turns around and he passes right through the crowd and went on his way. What a miracle! What a miracle! But they didn't get it. They rejected him.
0: Something very strange happens during the Christmas season. People with absolutely no connection to Christ celebrate his birth. In our time, he's widely accepted in a very superficial and general way. The hometown folk in Nazareth were at least more honest than that. They knew what Jesus was claiming, and most of them weren't buying it. Today, we opened a sermon called, His Own Received Him Not. You can get it on CD for a gift of $7 or more. We often say it's not the gift but the thought that counts. Sometimes just a word or hug is better than any trinket from a web store. And that's how we feel about your gifts to Right Start. Anything you can share is meaningful and helpful. Thank you. Please keep us in your prayers, and we'll do likewise. We ask you to call the ministry during business hours at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. Or mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio. 43085 is our zip code. We're in the U.S., of course please visit our website where we give you access to audio resources of all kinds. The address is rightstartradio.org. You can play radio programs from the site or play or even download the complete sermons that are the source material for the broadcasts. You might want to subscribe to RightStart as a podcast. You'll find a link there, and there's no charge for any of that because of friends that help. And you can donate online at rightstartradio.org. Rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The rejection of Jesus as Messiah was not a one-time event. It went on for years. Tomorrow, Jim will finish his thoughts on his own received him not. Please join us for the next Right Start.